Hello everyone, I'm Dalton Burdett, and I am the only movie knight here today. Uh, unfortunately, just a schedule mishap with Mr. Warner, but he sends his love, as he always does. But uh, welcome to another episode of the Movie Nights Podcast. Uh, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about today. I'm going to see if I can ramble successfully by myself for half an hour, and if not, I'm sure I will find a way to kill some time. But without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into our stories we have planned for today. Um, naturally, the first thing we're going to start off with is the weekend box office. And uh, you're going to have to forgive me as I reach over to my computer to bring up some of the stories. But uh, don't worry, I will try not to take up that much time doing so. Alrighty. So, for the weekend box office, what coming in at number one was John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. A very long and unnecessary title. Uh, but it racked in $56 million on its opening weekend, which is the highest of the franchise, which is something you always want when you're you know, putting money into a multiple film franchise, and uh, its budget was not nearly that high. I don't have the exact budget listed, but I'm going to assume that it was around the 50 million mark, so I guess it was that high. Never mind. Coming in at number two was Avengers Endgame, the first time it's not been number one since its release. It dropped another 52%, making in 29.9, almost $30 million. It's still a solid uh, weekend for Avengers Endgame. Also, it has reached $2.6 billion worldwide. It's only maybe a little bit more than 150 away from Avatar's worldwide all-time highest-grossing movie record. It did pass them domestically, but it's still got that worldwide number to reach. I don't think it will pass for Force Awakens domestically, though, which that's something I've always kind of sucked my guns to, but I've flipped on the Avatar thing a bit. Um, coming in third was Detective Pikachu, making another $25.1 million, dropping 53% from its last weekend. Coming in fourth was A Dog's Journey, which opened to $8 million. And coming in at number five was The Hustle, making another $6 million. Um, going down a little bit further on the list, another movie that opened last week was The Sun is Also a Star. It only made uh, $2 million this opening weekend. And I'm sure its budget wasn't that high, but that's still not a very good start for a movie that probably the studio wished would do a lot better than it actually did. Um, pretty, pretty, you know, solid standard box office. Um, it was cool to see John Wick not only come in number one, but come in that high. I believe the first one made 14, the next one was 40-something, and then now this one made almost $57 million on its opening weekend. It's awesome, especially for an R-rated film franchise. And uh, we will get to my review of John Wick Chapter 3 at the end of the episode, so just stick around. But uh, moving on to our next story, this one comes to us from Deadline. Um, James Gunn has given his first interview since um, the his whole firing, rehiring over at Marvel, and uh, Deadline got to sit down with the, and do an interview with him, just kind of talking about um, the situation and the new Suicide Squad movie he's also doing, and just how the whole thing really kind of, you know, went in and out of his head, and uh, I'm not going to pull direct quotes, um, you can pull up the article if you want, it's on Deadline, but um, pretty much what James talks about is how... Um, at first, it kind of felt like the end of the world when he was fired. It felt like, oh man, like my career's over. But then he saw a lot of support online from you know cast members of Guardians to personal friends to even movie studios reaching out to him just saying, hey, please come work for us, which eventually he signed on to direct Suicide Squad for Warner Brothers. And um, he talked about eventually Alan Horn would have meetings with him and eventually they would come back and try to get him to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3 again. The funny thing is, he said initial conversations weren't about him coming back. They were just trying to... He compared it to a breakup. He was just like, kind of like, hey, let's just be nice to each other because we both, we're both a part of each other's lives. It was sort of that kind of thing. But um, he eventually went on to talk about 
Suicide Squad a little bit, but he also mentioned that he's really excited to come back to Guardians 3, particularly for the Rocket character, because he said that he has a very specific idea for how he wants that character's arc to end, and he's very glad that he, he gets to come back and see it through to the end to make sure that it happens. And um, he also mentioned that uh, he had to personally tell Kevin Feige that he had t taken on Suicide Squad and that he was very nervous about that, but Kevin Feige is obviously the man, and um, you know, Minor adjusted his plan to make sure James could come back and direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3 again. Um, we've covered this story a lot on our show, but uh, I'm personally very glad that James Gunn is coming back to um, direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I'm very, very excited that he's also making a Suicide Squad movie. The fact that he's going to be making something in the DCEU and the MCU is just awesome. We might not see that again for a while. Hopefully this even opens the door for other directors to be able to flip-flop back and forth. I think that'd be a really cool thing to see happen. Moving on to our next story. This one comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Um, Stanley's former business manager charged with elder abuse against the late icon. Now, this is a more unfortunate story. Um, we had heard reports towards the end of Stanley's life that maybe his um, pe the people in charge of you know seeing his care were not exactly treating him very well, and then especially having it be his business manager is really rather unfortunate. But um, it's it's just one of those things that you know kind of makes your stomach churn whenever you see a headline like this, and when you go and read the story, it's, it's really kind of disgusting. Um, the fact that not only that any elder could be abused in this way by a business partner, and especially one of someone's iconic stature of Stan Lee, but I'm glad that the authorities are taking the necessary steps in charging his business manager with the elder abuse, and hopefully um, Stan Lee's you know, family can see some justice from this, because it's, it's really a disgusting thing to do to anybody. And from someone who, I've had family members who haven't suffered from elder abuse, but have suffered from you know, being treated unfairly at the facilities and they're in. And it's really a horrible thing to see happen. And I just, I hope that Stanley's family can get some closure with some justice in this case. Moving on to our next story. This is kind of a big one. Um, according to Variety, we have a new Batman. Uh, Robert Pattinson is, Pattinson, excuse me, is uh, in final negotiations, according to Variety, to take over the Batman role from Ben Affleck. And um, in Matt Reeves' The Batman film, which is supposed to come out sometime within the next 20 years, hopefully. Uh, no, but uh, apparently 2021, I think, is what they're aiming for, or 22. But um, clearly they're going to go in a different direction from the previous Ben Affleck role, who's more of an older and more fed-up Batman. This is obviously going to be a younger Batman. Probably the youngest person to ever play Batman. I should probably do research into that. But um, this is actually very exciting news to me, if it's true. Um, a lot of people are kind of upset online talking about, you know, all oh, the Twilight guy is going to be Batman. And yes, I'm not a fan of the Twilight movies just as much as a lot of people aren't. However, Robert Pattinson has devoted the last few years really devoting himself to try and overcome that Twilight shadow. And uh, I think that he's been doing that for a reason to try and get out of that Twilight shadow. And it's paying off clearly if he's being cast as the Batman. Now, clearly in this role, he's going to have to do a lot of working out, a lot of you know, contract signing, probably a multi-film deal. I think Matt Reeves has stated that he kind of wants to do a trilogy. So we'll see where all of this goes. But um, something kind of threw a wrench into this whole story when Deadline reported that, whoa, 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 while Robert Pattinson is in the final negotiations, this role could also go to Nicholas Holt. So 
the various trades are kind of unsure as to what exactly is going on, but I'm just going to go off of what Variety says and say it is Robert Pattinson. But it is important to note that Deadline says that Nicholas Holt is also one of the finalists for the role as well. Um, but both of them are fantastic actors. Nicholas Holt from the you know X-Men First Class trilogy and uh, Warm Bodies and many other great films. Both of these men are phenomenal actors, and if you're going to cast a role you know, as iconic as Bruce Wayne and Batman, you need to have someone who can just really pull it off the acting chops. And I think that it's a no-brainer that both of them are going to do a fantastic job. And uh, if you're still kind of a naysayer about Robert Pattinson, I highly recommend you seek out some of his more independent work that he's done recently. And uh, maybe you can have your mind changed because I think he is a phenomenal actor. I particularly loved him in The Lost City of Z. He was great in that film. Going on to our next story. This is just kind of a fever dream for one of the fellow movie knights, uh, Nick Iricchio. Um, the writer of Green Book, Nick Vallelonga, is teaming up with Nicolas Cage for action thriller 10 So apparently the writer of the Best Picture winning Green Book and Nicolas Cage are teaming up for an action film, which makes uh, this guy very excited right here. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a Nicolas Cage pillow that Nick owns. It's very great. Um, uh, this is kind of weird news. Um, hopefully... It's a theatrically released film that, unfortunately, just when you hear Nicolas Cage in a new movie, your brain kind of goes to the straight-to-DVD mindset. But um, with a writer like Nick Vallelonga, who's written an Academy Award-winning screenplay, you never know. It could be an excellent film. And obviously, hopefully it is. But uh, I think this is just interesting news. This is coming from Deadline, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. But, you know, it's it's something that I think is going to be really cool to see. And I hope that it turns out to be a great film. Um, it'd be nice to see this Nicolas Cage renaissance happen, because Mandy was batshit insane. If you haven't seen Mandy with Nicolas Cage, please seek it out. The first hour is kind of trippy, avant-garde, and weird, but the second hour is just mayhem. Um, yeah, I don't know where we can find it. I think it's on Shudder if you have that streaming service, but it's also on Blu-ray. Uh, watch Mandy. If you learn anything from this story, it's watch Mandy, and then get ready for 10 0 because it is just... It's probably going to be a wild ride. And our final story is coming to us from Variety. Um, Apparently, Amazon Studios has returned Woody Allen's movie that they had initially picked up for U.S. distribution. Um, Going a few years back, Woody Allen made a deal with Amazon Studios to distribute a number of his upcoming films, and apparently the most recent film that they've bought, they have returned. And um, no one's really looking to work with Woody Allen right now, especially in the climate of the hashtag MeToo movement and just, you know, the good thing of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't give people work who are accused of sexual assault and most likely did it. Um, You know, now the question's up in the air of will any U.S. distributor release this film? Um, I say it's unlikely. I mean, you never know. There could be a really desperate film studio that's bankrupt that needs to just put something out there and try and get a return. But even then, I think it would be a bad idea because not many people are going to pay to support the film with Woody Allen's name on it, especially now. And um, But I just thought this would be something interesting to bring up on the show, the fact that um, you know they can return their films when you when they are bought. And you know Woody Allen thought probably he was safe, and Oof, at least I got my, my next film bought by Amazon, and Amazon just kind of pulled the Uno reverse card and said, back to you, man, we're not taking it. So um, again, an interesting story, and uh, hopefully... This can set a trend if any major studios have deals already set with people who are morally probably not the right decision to go with for their public image. And um, we will see what happens. Um, I hope 
I kind of hope no distributor releases it. But um, if they do, it'll be interesting to see which one it would be and how that whole thing plays out. But um, for the last part of the show today, what I want to do is go ahead and give you my review for John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. While the title may be long and unnecessary, the movie was not. The movie was fucking bonkers and in a brilliant way. I'm a very big fan of the John Wick franchise. I don't know if you can see it, but I have both movies on 4K because that's the person I am. But um, basically... Uh, I love the first John Wick film. I think this the very simplistic A to B story and the beautiful cinematography and actually incredible world building and scripts really helped that movie drive the action sequences even to a better place. The action sequences are phenomenal and beautifully choreographed by directors Chad Stileski and David Leach who helped out on the first film as well. And the way that it was able to create its own mythology in like almost a very comic book-esque type way was fascinating, and I think that seeing that movie succeed was really nice, but then they made a second film, and a second film that I won't lie, I was a little bit worried about, because the second film had a really big task. It had to justify its own existence, because the first John Wick didn't really merit a sequel, but in the second film, it built upon the world even more, introduced the concept of the markers, if you're familiar with the John Wick franchise, and you bought it. It didn't seem completely out of place now that the sequel was happening. The movie did a good job justifying why it needed to be made, and it was a phenomenal film, and the action was even better in the second film, although I preferred the first film. And this film, John Wick Chapter 3, just takes it to a new height. Like, the action choreography and the action scenes are unbelievable. Like, you think it can't get better with each film that you see, and now you just... It does, every time. And adding on that, you know, Keanu Reeves is in, I believe, is in his 40s, or late maybe even early 50s, and he's still able to pull off this stunt work. For like, and The only stunts he really doesn't do is like getting hit by a car and the falls and things like that. But his action scenes, he's doing phenomenal. And the Holly Berry's in this film, and she kicks so much ass. She actually trained two dogs for like six months, and the dogs have fight scenes. The dogs have fight scenes in the movie. It's crazy. And um, what this film does is much like the second film. It builds within the mythology of the John Wick world, and it introduces topics that are even more compelling, more incredible than the first time around. And it was just truly remarkable to see. And the way that it was able to just balance everything. And um, especially the finale of this movie is incredible. Um, I've already said it, but I need to emphasize how incredible the action sequences are. And um, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but when I say that the story enriches and you find out more about this world, you also find out more about John Wick, but not in a very on-your-nose way, in a very subtle background way. And I'm a big fan of visual storytelling, and I hate expository dialogue. And this whole franchise does that very, very well. And while I think John Wick Chapter 3 is my second favorite of the John Wick movies behind the first one, and I don't hate the second one, I still love the second one, but I think... Um, John Wick 3 is probably my second favorite movie of the franchise, and it's one of my favorite movies of the year. I haven't even thought about where it ranks yet, but it's up there. John Wick Chapter 3 was fucking awesome, and I'm definitely going to see it again. Um, I, I saw it with a really awesome audience, too. Like, everyone was in it just like, ooh, ah, to every single action sequence. It, it, was, it was a great time at the theater, and... Uh, again, I love this franchise, and something I didn't think they would do is they actually set up a John Wick Chapter 4, and it actually just got confirmed yesterday that John Wick Chapter 4 will be opening in May of 2021. 
So that's very, very exciting. I hope this franchise goes as long as it can without overstaying its welcome. Um, but I will gladly accept the fourth movie. And the way it's, the franchise has been making money, it's just been going nowhere but up. And hopefully that trend continues for them. And um, there were actors from the Raid franchise in this film, which was cool to see because I love the Raid. And I think John Wick right now is the closest thing an American action franchise has to the Raid franchise. I still think that the Raid franchise's action is choreographed better and faster. But I think that in terms of American filmmaking, John Wick is the height of action movies right now. And um, we might not see that peak hit for a while. I mean, the Mission Impossible franchise is pretty up there, but that's mostly because of its impossible and insane stunts, not just the bare-knuckled hand-to-hand combat choreography, even though Fallout had some really good hand-to-hand combat scenes. Um, John Wick, I think, you know, the fact that the action's always filmed in wides, the choreography's incredible. Yeah, every now and then you you can see an actor, like, hold back because it's not his turn to throw a punch yet, but, you know, that's going to happen when you're giving us action in wide, long takes, and I will take little mistakes like that if it means I'm going to be blown away by the action I'm about to see instead of just, you know, quick cutting and shaking the camera to hide poor choreography. It takes the risk of, like, okay, who cares if you can tell he's about to throw a punch when he's about to get an axe in the fucking skull. It's awesome. And, um, again, I really thoroughly love this franchise, and um, I highly, highly recommend John McChapter 3. You don't have to see 1 and 2, so kind of enjoy it, but it certainly helps. And this movie picks up right after John Wick Chapter 2. Like, maybe 30 minutes after John Wick Chapter 2. So, um, again, I highly recommend the film. It was incredible. And I did not finish nearly on time. We still have some time to kill. So, if you're going to bear with me for one second. Um, the other movie nights, well, some of them, uh, Nick and Ryan, went to Megacon Orlando this past weekend. And they brought back some cool artwork. So, I'm just going to go grab their artwork. Hopefully, they don't mind. And I'm just going to show it to you guys. Give me one second. I'm back with some artwork. Uh, This first one, Nicholas actually gave to me because he is a sweetheart. And it is a Jaws poster with Quint and the Shark's Mouth and the theme behind it and the musical notes. I'm very excited about this gift. Thank you, Nicholas. This one is something that Ryan picked up because obviously with Franchise Spotlight, he's a very big James Bond fan and he got... The Legacy of Bonds, which I think is very, 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 very cool. I'm putting it in front and behind the mic because I don't know if the focus is going to mess up, so hopefully not. Um, Ryan is also a very big Quentin Tarantino fan, so naturally he got one of these bad boys. Moving right along, he also got a picture of John Carpenter and... Michael Myers with the Halloween theme in the background, which is just incredible. Love that. Again, anyone who's watching us for any period of time knows he's a big Halloween fan. He also got this bad boy, and anyone who would go to any Comic-Con knows exactly who that is. Just the best. And then he got this one. I'm very jealous of this one. This one's incredible. Fucking look at this. It is the Jaws poster with a bloody shark and the girl swimming on top. Absolutely incredible artwork. Nick got this and he's really excited about it. It's a beautiful drawing of Spider-Man with the vulture behind him, mirroring the shot in Homecoming of him trying to hold the boat together. Really, really cool stuff. Nick also got this Back to the Future artwork, 
which I think is awesome. Just a few more left. Look at this fucking alien's artwork. Look at how insanely beautiful and awesome that is. Like, it's not even fair, really. Speaking of which, when are they going to release aliens on 4K? I have the first alien on 4K, and it's awesome, but we need aliens, too. Come on. And then, of course, Clockwork Orange artwork in a really rad dad sense of the way. Artwork's very underrated, and especially from just passionate fans who really just want to show their love and sell it. So, you know, if you see artwork of something that you like made by someone who's just trying to do it for fun, buy it from them. It's really awesome, as you can see. But uh, that's all the time we're going to have for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will see you next time.